looking at different things about who God is and what are we waiting for and what is our, where is our hope and our peace and our joy. And today we're going to be looking at joy. And, and when, we, when we think about joy to the world, you know, we're going to sing that later, joy to the world. Like, where is this joy coming from? Is it just this, this motivation that we have, like we should be joyful because it's Christmas season, because Christmas is coming, that we can just be joy, have joy? You know, I, we see all over, in our neighborhoods and all over the place, lots of Christmas decorations, and some of them have the word joy. I've, I've seen this even in my neighborhood and in different places around. I'm driving around and I see joy. And, and this joy, is it a, a joy that we can just kind of muster up and you know, tur- like, turn that frown upside down, we're happy now, because it's Christmas, everything's good? Or is it from somewhere else? And, and so where do we get that joy? Where are we, how do we have joy? And who gives it to us? And so we're going to be looking at that today, and I thought, as, as we've been going through the last couple times, looking at, at what is the biblical idea, where do, where do these terms come from? And so we're going to look at this uh, video from the Bible Project about what is joy. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later, biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites wait they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. 
We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus, that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. All right, did we catch all that? Okay. Well, good. Uh, this, this, uh, this video shared a lot about where joy comes from. And we're, one of the things I said near the end is that Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And so that our, our main idea is very similar to that today, that joy is choosing, so that's that decision, it's choosing a life of faith and hope in Jesus. So, so joy is, is a decision. Joy is this, this choice that we have that even if circumstances are bad, even if circumstances are not ideal, that we still have an attitude of joy. And so we're going to be looking at what this is, what joy is. You know, they were talking in the video, they're talking about, about Paul being in a, a jail cell and he's still choosing to have an attitude of joy. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at today in Philippians 2. So I encourage you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first part of this chapter. And now, when Paul was in, you know, he wrote Philippians in a, a jail cell. Not the most ideal circumstances um, for writing a letter, but of course then his theme of the letter of Philippians is joy. He says over and over and over again in this, this four-chapter letter, to rejoice, to have joy. And we're going to find here near the beginning about making his joy complete. And so, just like the angels announced that they have good news that brings great joy for all people, where is our joy in? And who gives us joy? It is our Lord Jesus so let's look at Philippians chapter 2, and it says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, 
then make my joy complete by being... So here's how Paul says, you can make my joy complete. He's, he's writing this to the Philippian church, but this is also to all of us as believers in Christ. How can, how can our joy be complete? It is being like-minded and having this, the same love and being one in the Spirit and of one mind. So our, our joy, his joy in this, in this church, the Philippian church, is complete when, when they are in unity, when they are having love for each other, when they are like-minded, when they are having that same love for each other in one spirit and one mind. And he says then in verse, in, in verse 5, I'm sorry, in, in verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not only looking to your own interests, but in, to the interests of others. And uh, there's this, uh, this little uh, song that I, I hear sometimes around Christmas time, and I know my mom loves to sing it to the, to the grandkids, but she sings J-O-Y, J-O-Y, joy really means Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. And, and here's this, this idea that our joy is in Christ, and so we like what Paul's saying here, let's, let's keep him first. Let's keep Paul, let's keep, Paul says let's keep Jesus. Our joy is found in Jesus. And then he says having our, uh, our in humility, value others above yourself. Having put other, thinking of other people, thinking not of your own self-interest and vain conceit, but rather putting others before you, especially in this Christmas season. Let's think about others and letting others uh, know about this great joy of Jesus coming. And then he, so then uh, Paul continues, and he gives this um, example, he gives this example that is, the best example ever, it's Jesus. So he says, in uh, verse 5, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. <laughs> Good luck with that. Have the same mindset with Christ Jesus. Okay? Uh, got it? Can we do that? Here's, here's what Jesus did. And then he gives, he gives this, oh, in case you don't know what Jesus did, let's understand this. He says in verse 6, who, he's talking about Jesus, being the very nature, uh, he, he was the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used as his own advantage. I mean, think about it. He comes, and he's born in a, in a, a manger, not in a, a palace or royal fanfare, all this. He's born in a very humble place. And that's just the start. And then, he's, so he doesn't use it, his his status as something of his own advantage. It says rather in verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of, as man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. And, and so this example, having this attitude of Christ, having the same mindset of Jesus, it's something that Paul wants us to do. He says as Christians, we need to have joy, but that joy is starting with an attitude like Jesus. And so our first point today is, is that joy 
is having an attitude like Jesus. That God, who is our joy, this God helps us choose this attitude of Jesus. If we just had to have an attitude of Jesus on our own, I think we'd be in trouble. But our God gives us help. He reminds us. He gives us His Spirit to show us what Jesus is like and what He wants us to be not just doing, but what He wants us to be thinking and what He wants us to be having an attitude of. Now, I know it's a, it's a pretty hard, or it's the perfect standard, Jesus. You know, he, he came, he lived a perfect life, and he went willingly to his death on a cross. Willingly, he did that for us. Now, but his attitude, his attitude was the part that, that, that Paul wants us to remember. It wasn't just that Jesus did it, but he had the attitude of, he, he had love and peace and joy in him just flowing out of him and thinking about others, thinking about how we need saved, how we need rescued. And so Paul is telling us our attitude should be like Jesus. Not thinking about what we want, but thinking about what's best for others. Now, sometimes it's hard to to change our attitudes. And I know as a parent, Asking a kid to, to change their behavior is one thing and difficult, but sometimes we say, hey, we need to work on that attitude. We need an attitude adjustment. Let's change your attitude. Because we know as a parent, you guys, many of you know, I'm sure, as parents, if, you, if the kid can change their attitude, most likely their behaviors and their actions are going to change as well. And it's going to be good not just for that moment in whatever situation you're dealing with, but it's probably also going to be good later on, help with their siblings or with their relationships with their friends or their parents or whatever. But an attitude adjustment is a, is a, a change that needs to happen before and that it influences our behaviors, influences our actions. And that's the same for us. We need to have an attitude change, an attitude adjustment and and that attitude should be like jesus that attitude and and that's why jesus gives us his holy spirit so that we have always with us his spirit to say hey do we need to think change how we think yes we do often we need to change our attitude to be like jesus not about ourselves but in humility thinking about others and then paul goes on here you know, he, he talks about how Jesus willingly went to the cross, willingly died. And then he says in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, these verses right here, verses 5 through 11, were considered an early hymn that the church, the Christians would sing. And they would sing this, this hymn, a Christ hymn, because it's, it's focused all about Jesus. What did, what did he do? His attitude was set on helping others and not himself, in humility. And he went, 
where he had every chance in the world to, to do what he wanted, he didn't. He did what was best for others and even willingly went to the cross. But then the story doesn't end there. Aren't, are you guys happy about that? <laughs> the story doesn't end there. He didn't just die on the cross. We don't celebrate, and we don't celebrate Jesus who is dead. We celebrate Jesus who's alive. Right? Yeah, we talk about the cross a lot, and that's important. But he didn't stay dead. And so Jesus was exalted. He, he, he rose from the dead. And he was exalted, and now he's with the Father. And, and it says someday, at the name of Jesus, everybody, wherever they are, are going to worship Jesus. Don't you get excited for that day? Yeah? I do. <laughs> get excited. Because someday, and we, we know this, that Jesus wins. And it's not he wins because he's better than everybody else. Yes, he is better. But he wins and he wants everybody to be saved. And, and so that's why he's not back yet. He hasn't, not, he hasn't returned yet because there's more people that need to be saved. And so that's our mission is Jesus wants us to show people Him, right? He wants us to show people who He is so they can come to know Him before it's too late. Because on that day, when everybody bows to Jesus, only some are going to be with Jesus. Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount that some people are going to say, Lord, Lord, I did all these things. I know you. And Jesus says, I don't know you. So we need to show people who Jesus is before it's too late. But our hope is in Jesus. And our second point today is that. Is that our hope is in Jesus. So the God who chooses, or the, I'm sorry, the God who is our joy, Jesus is our joy. He helps us choose to have hope in Him. That we have hope because we know that He wins. That, ev- that one day, everyone, everywhere is going to bow at the name of Jesus. And they're gonna, all going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus will be glorified. And this is our hope. That we have hope in Jesus, the glorified King of kings and Lord of lords. And then it, it's, then it says it in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue your great... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will act, will, and will to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. So, so here Paul is is wanting us to put our hope in Jesus, and that we can continue our to working out our salvation. That means that we are not that once you're saved, it's not done. We're not, we're not okay. We're we're now going to be in heaven with Jesus when we die. And so now I can live however I want. No. 
We need to continue to learn. We need to continue to grow. In a relationship with Jesus, it's not just, you know, it's, it's not just like, oh, I'll just, um, I'll talk to you when I die, Jesus. No, that, where is the hope in that? Where is the joy in that? Jesus wants to give us joy now. Even in the midst of our circumstances, even when things are bad, even when things are hard, even when we don't know if we can continue. Jesus wants us to keep trusting Him, keep putting our hope in Him and giving us joy. You know, two weeks ago, I preached about hope, how Jesus is our living hope. And looking at how, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, how Jesus is our living hope, and He is sure, and He is steady, and He is secure. Looking at our, our expectation and, and our waiting is in Jesus, because Jesus is our living hope. We don't need to, I mean, because we know that Jesus wins, and we know that Jesus is good. And in, in 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4, it says, Praise be to the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and His great uh, Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So Jesus is our living hope. And we can put our hope in Him. And we should. I know sometimes we think about hope, you know, putting our hope in, in Jesus. And, and maybe it seems like forever until that day comes that, that Christ will return. We don't know. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be thousands of years from now. We don't know. But, the, but we put our hope in Jesus regardless. You know, our family was quarantined recently, and there was, there was a point where one kid tested positive, and then, and then a few days later, another, and then another, and we're starting to think, oh man, this could be like forever. <laughs> forever! I mean, at the most, that's like, you know, a month or six weeks or something, but forever! Forever! We're going to be in quarantine Forever! And that's the most we can complain about is that we would have to be isolated in a warm house, safe, with our family, forever. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but quarantining, as soon as we found out, okay, the quarantine is going to end on this date, which was this week, uh, it seemed like we had a lot more hope. Like, hey, there's an end to this. We knew that, that this was about to be over, and we could like, be more excited about that. We knew there was going to be an end. It wasn't just going to be forever. In the same way, or a similar way, I guess, our suffering on this earth, whether we're, however we're suffering, it, it's only for a time. It's not forever. So we can have our hope in Jesus we can have our joy in Jesus, even if it seems like it's forever, it's not forever. Uh, this, this suffering, whatever we're going through, it's going to have an end. Because we know at the end that Jesus is going to win. And we're going to be with Jesus, and there's going to be no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain. And we're going to be with Him. For those that trust in Jesus... And those who have their joy 
and hope in Jesus. We have, a, we have an end of when this earth will be, will be no more. Well, or at least this, this, how we know it. Because Jesus is making all things new. So this, when this comes to an end, we, have, we, we know that, there's, that we can put our hope in Jesus. And that helps us when we're in the midst of this. Whether we're in a hard time right now or, or later we're in a hard time. So we can, so the God who, who, who is our joy, the, the God who is our joy, he helps us choose an attitude like Jesus. And then secondly, hope in Jesus. And then let's look at, in Philippians 2, uh, the, the next few verses here, from 14 to 18, it says, Do nothing without grumbling or arguing. You might need to read that one again. <laughs> do nothing, uh, sorry, it says, it says do, do everything, not nothing, do everything. I almost said it wrong. I know some of us like to think, do nothing without grumbling or arguing, because that's, that's more our nature. That's more that what we want to do. But it says, do everything without grumbling, without arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then he says, you will shine like you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I, this is Paul, will be able to boast in the day of Christ that I did not run in labor, or did, I did not run or labor in vain. So Paul is saying here, Shine like the stars. Do everything without complaining, arguing. Have this attitude like Jesus. Have your hope in Jesus. And now I believe he's saying have your faith in Jesus. Because he says, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on a sacrifice, even if I'm about to die, even because he is about to die, even if everything is bad going on in my life. He says, and service coming from your faith. I am glad to rejoice with you all. And you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Even if all the bad things are happening in the present. Our faith keeps us going. And that's our third point today. Is the God who is our joy, Jesus, helps us choose faith in Him. He helps us have faith in Jesus. Faith is shown by the way we live. It, it's, you know, when our attitude is in Jesus and like Jesus, and our hope is in Jesus, it's going to show the way we live. Our actions are going to show that. If we just say, I believe Jesus, or I, I have hope in Jesus, but we don't live it, our, our faith, it's, it's not going to show people. It's not going to show people what we really are like. 
I mean, he uses this example of shining like stars. I mean, go outside at night and look up at the stars. The, sh- the stars are brilliant and they're shining from, from thousands or millions of light years away. They, I mean, that, that's so far away. They're sh- but they're, you can see them. Can people see you shining like stars? Seeing your, the faith that you have in Jesus from a distance? Like Jesus said, like a city on a hill? The people can see your light? I mean, not arguing, complaining. Like, when you have a reason to complain, a reason to argue, I usually like to or try to take that advantage and do that. I have a, I'm, you know, something as bad is happening in my life. I want to I argue. I want to complain. I want to get it right. But Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not just because you shouldn't do it. It's because it, it shows that our faith is in Him and we have our hope in Jesus and we don't have to be justified. We don't have to be fixing everything. Leave it to Jesus. Are we getting into arguments on social media? Are we complaining to people when we have a chance? Even if it's just one person? Or do we go to God? You know, when I was preaching on, in First uh, Peter 3, or First Peter 1, the other, uh, two weeks ago, the next two verses, uh, verses five and five, or five, six and seven, we're talking about faith, because, and I'll read this. It says, "The faith, those people with faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. That's ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this." you greatly rejoice. Though for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials, but have, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith that's greater than gold, which perishes even though refined in fire, this faith may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So our faith in Jesus, you know, sometimes we're in trials, sometimes we're in pain, sometimes there's, there's all kinds of problems, but this, these trials help us in our faith to, sh- to show, is our faith really real? Is our faith grounded in Christ? Is Jesus helping us have the attitude of Him and having hope in Him? and having trust and faith in Jesus alone? Or are we trying to tell people about all the problems we have? Are we trying to make other people feel bad or getting upset? And so when we sing joy to the world, we can sing it knowing, not just when we sing it, but it's an attitude that we have joy in the Lord. How the Lord has come and let earth receive her king. We want the whole world to receive Jesus as the king. And let every heart prepare room for Jesus. Let every heart be ready to receive Jesus as king. And heaven and nature sing. And we have joy from Jesus. And we want that joy 
to the world. We want that joy to be to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends that don't have that joy in Jesus. And remember that joy is choosing a life of faith and hope in Jesus. That's our main idea today. Joy is choosing a life of faith and hope in Jesus. So this Christmas season, let's worship the God who is our joy. And I just want to ask this question to each of us and take a moment to think about this. How do you, how do you choose joy this Christmas season? Jesus, we know it's hard to choose an attitude like you. And we know that joy is a choice. And so God, we pray that you would give us more joy as we are in relationship with you, as we draw near to you, as we read your word, as we talk to people about you, as we pray. God, I pray that you would give us that life of joy and that we would have faith and hope in you alone. So Jesus, we pray that that when we're about to argue, when we're about to complain, when we're about to do something that's that's self-centered, selfish, I pray that your Spirit would show us, not now, not like this, stop. And God, I pray that your Spirit would show us how to choose humility and have joy in you and be kind and compassionate to others, showing the goodness and faith of you, Jesus. I pray that for each of us. God, I pray if there's, there's people that, haven't, that don't have a relationship with you, Jesus, I pray that you would draw them to you this Christmas season, that they would experience you who is our joy. And I pray that you would give us more joy in your wisdom and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.